All right, how you doing? Good. And welcome to everyone online. And uh, man, this is, from an, for an outdoor guy, this is a dream to, to preach with this kind of breeze and be outside with some friends. All right, well, we are in a exciting series, for me at least. I'm loving diving in every morning. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we are going to talk tonight about the rapture. Talking tonight about the rapture. You know the great thing about doing an end time series right now is that no one's like pushing back. Everyone's like, well, of course. <laughs> it's pretty fun. So I was thinking this week about how it's innate in our human nature to look forward to things, to eagerly anticipate things, to get excited, and, and how that can even motivate us. And I was thinking about Christmas and this person called Santa Claus, and as a child, how much Santa Claus motivated me. I don't know about you. I mean, my parents, they, they, they motivated me through Santa Claus. Shame on them. Mom and dad, they're actually listening. And uh, so, so here's, here's the thing. I really believe that song, right? Uh, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Okay, so you sang it, and then you're like, hey, this is July. But you know what? Hallmark's playing Christmas in July right now, so... We can do it at church, but, but here's the thing. Uh, no one had to motivate me to write out my Christmas list. Like, I just did it. And, you know, I, I wasn't too good about feeding my little sisters. But, man, when I knew Santa Claus was coming, I had the cookies and the milk out for him. Uh, and even, I was even motivated at Christmas time to behave better, right? Because I knew, you know, you better watch out because Santa Claus is coming to town. It's... Interesting then when I learned that Santa wasn't coming, um, uh, hold the ears over uh, any kids. Uh, when I learned it, it actually demotivated me. Like I, I stopped writing out the list. I stopped putting out cookies and milk. I, I, I stopped doing all these things. And um, don't get sad. I actually have a moral to this story. I think there's something we can glean from it is that when we understand that something is coming in the future, it actually motivates us to live differently. And that's why I want to talk about the rapture tonight to you. I want to talk to you about something that you have to look forward to. There's so many things that you're like, are they going to happen? Like, is my restaurant going to ba open back up? I know for us, we're preparing for, for our football season. And we're like, is, it, is football going to happen? We might go a fall without NFL football, guys. But let me just tell you one thing that you can be motivated for sure is that Jesus is returning. Jesus is returning. So let's, um, let's start just with what is the rapture? Because I, I realize, I don't know about you, I had never actually heard an entire sermon on the rapture. So let me actually define it first. Here's the definitions. Uh, let's go ahead and put that up. The rapture is the transporting of believers to heaven at the second coming of Christ. The transporting of believers to heaven at the second coming of Christ. That's the dictionary definition. But here is the second thing. You look up rapture and you get this. A feeling of intense pleasure or joy. 
Now here's what I'm talking about tonight is going to be number one, the transporting of believers to heaven and at the second coming of Christ. But I thought, isn't it ironic that the word rapture also means a feeling of intense pleasure or joy? And I thought, you know, the more I've been meditating on Jesus returning, the more even in this season, which has been hard, the more I've had pleasure or joy. So tonight my message is entitled, Enraptured by the Rapture. Come on, enraptured by the rapture. So let's jump in. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 18 is where we're going to start. It says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, here's what you might hear some people say. I've heard them say this before. Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical term. So how do you really believe in the rapture? Well, that really depends on the translation that you're reading. Listen to this. This is from the Amplified Version. It says in verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain on the earth will simultaneously be caught up, raptured together with them. In the Greek, the word rapture is arpazo, arpazo. And what it means is this. We're going to take you to school for a minute. It means to seize or carry off by force. It also means to seize on or claim for oneself eagerly or to snatch out or away. I love studying Greek. I studied a lot of Greek in my university years because it's just so rich. You get so much meaning out of each word. And this word arpazo is just pregnant with meaning, but still, how do we get rapture? Well, we get rapture from the word rapio, which is Latin. The Latin Vulgate, when the Roman Catholic Church, they were speaking Latin. And so the Vulgate was the translation from Greek into Latin. And they used the word for caught up, arpazo. You saw that in 1 Corinthians 4. It says, we will be caught up with them. That word caught up Arpazo was translated rapio, transliterated into English rapture. So that's where we get this term rapture. So I want to continue to dive in here because I'm going to pull out very, very quickly eight points that you can look forward to in the rapture. It starts with this, that first phrase we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4 is it says, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Men and women, Boys and girls, I have great news for you. Jesus himself is coming back. And, and this sounds really basic, but some churches actually don't teach that. They say, well, it's going to be God's presence that comes back, or it's going to be just the Holy Spirit moving, or we're going to have an age where the church is just being more the church. No, let me actually tell you, the Lord himself will come down in bodily form. Jesus is the most real being in the universe, and he will return in bodily form to come and get his bride, the church. Point number two, I told you we were going fast. We will meet the Lord in the air. So it says this, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air if you've ever dreamed of flying. Who has actually had an, a, an actual dream about flying? 
Those are the coolest dreams. And you always wake up disappointed, right? You're like, oh, it's still me. I'm still confined by the forces of gravity. And my arms don't, you know, so we fly in all different ways in our dreams. But let me just tell you, there will be a day where you fly up in the air and meet him in the sky. It's absolutely amazing. And, and so where do we go? Uh, some, some people just believe, well, the Lord will return and immediately we'll have this new heavens and new earth. No, actually, we are going to meet him in the air. John 14, Jesus talked about where he would take his disciples to. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So the first thing that's going to happen at that end day is you will be taken up into the air and we will be in paradise in that beautiful place the Lord has prepared for you. I mean, aren't you just getting happy in your heart right now? This world, as we know it, will not be your final home. Yes, ma'am. So that, that brings me to my next point is this, number three, point number three, the rapture should encourage us. The rapture should encourage us. And actually, in the end of this First, Corinthians, uh, First Thessalonians 4 passage, it says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. I've met a lot of Christians through the years that are fearful to talk about the end times. They're scared when they hear the word rapture. And some of it's because there's some really freaky apocalyptic movies. But let me tell you that a teaching on the rapture and a teaching on the end times should encourage your heart. That's one of the main reasons that I'm teaching on that in the midst of such weird global chaos is because Jesus wants to encourage you deeply. I thought about my mom she was a very loving mother, very encouraging mother. And I would go to her oftentimes in the, the thick of school, like in the middle of a semester, I'd be like, mom, I'm so tired of school. I'm so sick. I don't want to go to school. And my mom would say this. She would say, Robert, in four weeks, it's spring break. And your dad and I have planned an exciting vacation to the mountains and you can make it for four more weeks. And you know what that would do? That would encourage me that there was something to look forward to. There was something better coming. There was a relief. There was an excitement. That's what Jesus is doing. He's speaking to you right now and saying, although it's hard right now, although this is challenging, you haven't got to see all your family or your friends. You're wearing these silly masks all the time. You're, you're concerned about health and sickness, and some of you have lost jobs. He's saying, but listen, a great vacation is coming, an eternal vacation. You will all have sweets on this vacation, no economy rooms, right? You'll all sit in first, we'll all fly first class, up to that mansion in the sky that's prepared for you. That encourages me. 
Let's move on to Luke 17, another great passage. I'm just covering a handful of them tonight. Luke 17, 22 through 25. I'd really encourage you to take notes or take a picture just so you can go back because I want to encourage you to read these on your own and it's going to feed your soul. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. So he, he's, this is Jesus. This is the Gospels, remember, so his disciples are like, right here with him, like this front row. These are his disciples. And he said, hey, there's a day coming where you're going to long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But listen to this. But you will not see it. What? People will tell you there he is or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to another. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Did you catch that? Uh, he said to his disciples, you're going to want to see the days of the Son of Man, but you're not going to see it. Now, wait, Jesus, they were seeing you. What, from the, the biblical understanding, if they would have locked into it, the days of the Son of Man was an apocalyptic phrase. It was an end times phrase. It was a phrase from Daniel and Ezekiel, where the Son of Man was seen on a throne in glory and in power, with a face like the sun. He actually saw him sitting on a throne, and so he was saying to his disciples, you're not going to see that. Then skip to the end. What does he say? In this generation, what you're going to see is this, that he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He's saying, disciples, in your generation, what you're going to see is suffering, and you're going to see rejection. But the days of the Son of Man, it's not going to come like Jesus first came as a baby, where just a few people, remember we talked about this last week, just a few people saw him, some shepherds, some wise men, but most of the world missed him. Like at the, at the very end, there were only 120 gathered. He says, no, the days of the Son of Man, it's going to be Jesus returning in the clouds and everyone from one side of the heaven. He says, just like lightning lights up the whole sky, that's how it's going to be. Can, if someone tells you, hey, the Messiah showed up, he's off in the Mojave Desert, right? He's out in Yuma, right? D don't believe him, he's saying. Because next time Jesus comes, he's not going to be just walking around Hollywood, or he's not going to be out in the desert or in some cave. It's not going to be some, some yogi that we're going to find in, in Asia. No, I'm serious, because so many people claim to be the Messiah. What he's saying is, no, everyone will see me. Do you remember that from Matthew 24? It says, this is verse 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. How many? All the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Okay, why? Why, why will all people mourn? I'll never forget the first time that I heard a preacher giving the depiction of Jesus with eyes of fire, face like the sun, sound of rushing water coming from his mouth when he spoke. I fell on my knees and started weeping. And I just started saying, oh, if I would have only known how beautiful you were, I wouldn't have wasted so much of my life. Why would we as Christians mourn? We will mourn because we will realize how much of our lives we've wasted. And then we will quickly have that mourning replaced into joy of standing in his presence. Um, I, I likened it to 
when I fell in love with Steph, my wife, right over here, beautiful woman, um, once I fell in love with her, I was, I, I never wanted to date another girl. I never wanted to talk to another girl. Why? Because I was, I was enraptured by her beauty. And in fact, I mourned over my previous relationships and, and, and that I had not kept myself more set apart for her. And I believe that's why we will mourn as believers, although that mourning will instantly change into joy. But the lost and broken world, why will they mourn? They will mourn because they actually miss. They miss their chance to make Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. And as we are caught up in a twinkling of an eye, it will be too late for them. And that is why it motivates me that Jesus is coming back because I want my family to go up with me. Amen. I want my coworkers. I want, hopefully all my coworkers will, by the way, they work at this church. Kendall, are you sure you're coming? I want every person I see. I, 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 I ask that question, Every, the, the person across the counter at In-N-Out Burger, I, I, I'm thinking like, are you, are you gonna make it? And I'm, it motivates me because people are gonna either spend eternity in the presence of Jesus or eternity suffering. And that's not what I want. Point four, everyone on earth will see Jesus return. Everyone on earth will see Jesus return. Now, moving on in Luke 17, this is where it gets really interesting. It says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. Up to that day, Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking and buying and selling planting and building, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. Two very interesting analogies, two very interesting stories for Jesus to reference. They have some things in common. Both Noah and Lot were righteous men. They were trying to follow God. Both of them lived among a very sinful generation. Both of them were actually spoken to by the Lord. God told Noah, build a boat. God told Lot, I'm going to destroy this place. Both of them, number four, were actually taken. And this is what I want you to see. They were taken away. They were taken, they were basically snatched up and were spared the judgment. They were spared the wrath. And that is how Jesus says, this time the rapture will be. Okay, so point number five. The church will be saved from the terrible judgment. The church will be saved from the terrible judgment. So am I saying that we're not gonna have to go through anything hard? Absolutely not. For hundreds of years and for thousands of years, the church has had to suffer. We've had to suffer in this time. And this time has been a, a pruning on the earth. But when the scripture says it will be just like the day that this is revealed, what, what do I believe? I believe that the church will be spared from the absolute wrath coming against the wickedness that is going on. 
Now, although there are countless theologians and pastors that believe what I believe, I also just want to take a moment to say there are others that think the church will go through the whole judgment and all the wrath. That is called post-tribulation thought of the rapture. Now, if you believe in that, can you stay in the church? <laughs> I got you. You're like, I don't know. He's about to, guys, it's me. Of course you can stay. Uh, there, there, are, there are great people that I love that have this, and, and they would give you their scriptures, but I'm, I am telling you why I don't think that. And, and actually, some of you would say, well, Robert, that's classic you. You're an escapist. You, you don't, you don't want to go through the hardship. And I'm like, of course I don't, but here's my scripture. I actually believe that Jesus tells us to escape. Here it is. This is, listen to this. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to, uh, I'm sorry, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And you might be able to stand before the Son of Man, Luke 21, 36. Yeah, here, here is what I found. There's so many people that have a hard time with judgment. Like, man, that is, you hear people saying that all the time now. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? And that's right, we are not to be the judges. But there is someone who is worthy to judge all mankind. And his name is Jesus. And the older I get, the more thankful I am. The more thankful I am for righteous judgment. Because the older I get, the more atrocities I see executed upon the earth. Ethnic genocide, rape, school shootings, exploitation through the sex trafficking industry, destroying young boys and girls. This horrific, horrific pain and perversion against people. And so I am, let me just tell you, if you were a parent and something like that happened to your child, you would not want a judge who flippantly goes, oh, that's okay, do better next time. God's judgment comes from God's love. I didn't get one amen, but I'll amen myself because I'm right. Because it's what the Bible says. God's judgment is good because he's loving. And you want a loving father that will defend you. And we want a loving father who says when people are committing heinous crimes and injustices against each other, there is a time where I Stop. And that's why he says it's just like the days of Noah where he finally said enough is enough. Too much pain, too much hurting, too much destruction. I've got to put an end to it. The same with Lot, with Sodom and Gomorrah. Too much destruction, too much pain, too much perversity. There's got to be an end. But if you turn to me and look at me, I pull you right out of it and spare you from it because I'm that good and I don't want anyone to suffer. You turn your eyes on Jesus. The Bible says, everyone that calls on the name of the Jesus will be saved. Oh, it's good. Got just a couple more here. Point six. Is this encouraging anyone? On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Turn to the person next to you and say, remember Lot's wife. It's hard. We don't even know her name. 
Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Point six, the teaching on the rapture is a warning to believers. There is a warning. So what's the story of Lot's wife? You remember Lot was Lot and his family were living in Sodom and Gomorrah, crazy um, just wickedness going on, crazy destruction, crazy sexual immorality. And so the angels come and say, the outcry against the city has come to God. He's going to destroy it. But there's this family who loves God. So the angels come and they're pulling them out. They're walking. They actually grab their hands. I mean, they even hesitated. This is how good God is, right? He even grabbed their hands and says, you're coming with me. Like they were arpazoed, right? They were snatched up. So he's pulling them, and, and he says, but don't look back. And what happens? Lot's wife was more in love with what she had in the past than what she was getting in the future. She loved the comforts of her life in this world more than the glory of walking with God in the future. And that's the warning to us as believers. This has been, this COVID pandemic has been a hard time where all of us have lost things. We've lost the ability to do what we want. We've lost our restaurants that we can go and sit in. We've lost uh, getting to sit in a movie theater, going, going to a, a theater. Uh, my kids lost their graduations at the end of the year. The kids aren't getting to hang out with their friends. Like, I mean, we've all lost something. But the, the message of the rapture is don't be so in love with that that you're just constantly looking back at what you lost because what you can gain in the future. Look to Jesus. Look to his love. Look to his glory. Look to a father who says, I can work out all things for good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I am very expectant for you sitting and hearing my voice and you sitting and listening to me that things are actually going to work out for your better because we went through this. And if we have no joy in the midst of this time, in the midst of COVID, then we have to say maybe we were too in love with the kingdom of comfort than we were the kingdom of our Lord. And so it's a great pruning or, or maybe even gentle judgment for us to say, hey, when everything gets shaken, are we shaken? Because we live or we're called to live in an unshakable kingdom. About to start preaching. Here's a sad part. Luke 17, 34. I've just got two more points. Luke 17, 34. I tell you on that night, two people will be in one bed, and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, and one will be taken and the other left. Point seven, people will be left behind. People will be left behind. And he paints these graphic pictures of it. Like people are going to be, two people are going to be in bed. And, you know, so here's husband and wife. And all of a sudden, wife's taken. And husband, I did that on purpose. The wife's taken, the husband, uh, is, is, left, is left behind. What, what does this tell us? It tells us you can't ride on someone else's coattails. Please, if you're here tonight, 
Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're listening to me, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because just because you had a godly mama doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you had a godly grandma doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you have a, a, a really righteous girlfriend doesn't mean you're going to heaven. We all have to stand before that judgment of Jesus. And those who have made him Lord and Savior, we get to go. But there will be others. I mean, people laughed at that. I don't know if you ever saw the Left Behind movie. Now it's on. I'm sure like a million people are watching it. Millions of people are watching it right now during COVID, especially as everyone's going. The most Googled thing, at least in the last couple of weeks, was, is this the end times? So you know the Left Behind movies are having like a resurgence right now. And the, the, I, I, the funniest part of the Left Behind series is when people, they're on a plane and like the sweet grandma looks and her husband's clothes are gone. And she's like, Archie? Uh, no, no, his clothes are there. He's gone. His suit's like just against the seat, which is really funny because I'm like, wait, do people like get taken up without their clothes on? Like, that's super awkward, right? We're like a bunch of, anyway, uh, I don't know. We're not going to mo- meditate on that right now. Um, but but the, 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 the principle is true. The principle is true is that two people are going to be laying there and one of them's gone. And then did you also see two women will be grinding grain? So one, one was about two people asleep. The other is two people out in the field. That's what, that's what another scripture says. Why? Because this will transcend time zones. Half of the earth will be at night. Half of the earth will be in day. That's why some people are in bed and some people are in today because the, the rapture is going to happen at one time. Okay. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the carousing drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap for it will come on all those who live on the face of the earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you might be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let me close with this. This week, this probably impacted me the most, this phrase weighed down. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down. I was sitting with a a good friend and he goes, Robert, how do we help all these people who feel weighed down by this heaviness. And let me just confess to you that there's been, have have you had some of these mornings in these past few months where you wake up and you just start feeling heavy? You're like, oh my goodness. I just, there is a heaviness on me. And Jesus is saying, be careful or your heart will be weighed down. Why? Two reasons. Let's go back to this, this verse for a second. Here's the first reason. With carousing and drunkenness, what I've found is for some Christians in this time, they've gone to painkillers in the midst of the challenges of the corona pandemic. People have gone to things like too much alcohol, or drugs, pornography, gambling. Perhaps it's other things. It's, it's, it's shopping or, or gaming. 
and, and just using things to numb our pain. Maybe it's just being on social media all the time. It's just indulgence. It's, it's gluttony. And maybe, maybe it's actually food. But others of us are just are being gluttonous in, 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 in too much media. And, and, and we're not putting Jesus in that, that rightful place. And we've fallen into different sins. Or maybe it's like anger or lashing out. on Man, I mean, there are a lot of people lashing out in these last six months. And, and Jesus is saying, be careful or you'll be weighed down. We're going to be weighed down by this, by this sin. But look, there's a second part. And the anxieties of life. Uh, this is the one I've struggled with in this time. It's just the, the anxieties of life. Uh, man, it, it's hard when when, when someone's lost their job and you're going, am I going to be able to pay my mortgage or my rent? Am I going to be able to put food on the table? Am, am I, man, all of a sudden, all our kids are at home. And man, that's an anxiety of life. Like, are, we weren't used to that. Or, or man, you know, I, I can't go and see my loved one who's in the hospital. These are the anxieties of life. And Jesus is saying, be careful or you're going to be weighed down by the anxieties of life. So what is the answer? Here's the answer. Be always on the watch. What does that mean? Be always looking. Where? Be always looking up. Be always, don't, don't just have a temporal. Remember we said this, the theme verse for for. This whole series out of 2 Corinthians 4, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. Be always on the watch, Christian. Be always on the watch for Jesus. And pray. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen so that you might be able to stand before the Son of Man. How do you not get weighed down? Live to stand before the Son of Man. Live knowing that one day Jesus is going to come and you will be before him. And if you're broken in your body and you have sickness or health problems, which I have had tons in my life, just know in that day you will be completely healed. Know that if you have dealt with anxiety and pain and stress, that someday you're going to stand before Jesus and it's all going to melt off of you. Know that you've had fights with sin and you've struggled to keep your mind pure. Know that you're going to stand before him and your mind will be washed clean. Know that he makes all things new. Know that this world that you live in is not the end like this. No, he is going to come and he is going to first take you to paradise to be with him and then he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more pain and no more suffering and no more genocide and no more rape and no more death and destruction and no more coronavirus. Woo! At that day, we will stand before the Son of Man. And that's why we do this series to say, so let's watch, let's pray, and let's be ready because Jesus is coming again when we stand up.